Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Check. Hey, good morning. Um, man, I'm, I'm excited to be up here. And I could not um, pass up this moment. I didn't know Sean was going to sing it as well. Um, but it is so, such a beautiful song and so fitting to the message today. And I didn't want to butcher it, so I had to double check the story. Um, does anybody know the story behind that song at all? It is well. Um, it's an incredible story. And I just wanted to double, double check on it. But Horatio Spafford, um, who was a successful lawyer, this was back in the, like, it's 1893 um, when this happened. Him and his wife, um, they had a son and four daughters. And um, their son actually died of pneumonia. And then in the great Chicago fire, um, a couple years later, he lost everything that he had in his business. Um, and then that same year, uh, his wife was, his wife and four daughters were on a ship going from the U.S. to Europe. Um, it crashed and sunk. And I was in tears listening to that song um, because the only survivor was his wife. Um, and so it is, it's, it's said that while Horatio Spafford was on his way to Europe um, to meet his grieving wife, um, he coined, he wrote this song while on that ship. And at the bottom of it, it says, um, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't pass up that opportunity to tell that story if you haven't heard it. Um, just because I think it is just a phenomenal story, and it's kind of where we're going this morning. Um, so, hi, I'm Tali Skipper. Um, I'm the college and career pastor here, and I'm so honored for this opportunity uh, to speak. This is my first time speaking in a long time, um, so bear with me. Have some grace. Um, we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to kind of give you the spoiler alert on where we're going, but we're in, the, in Genesis, the story of Joseph, and I'm going to read um, chapter 50, 15 through 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because... They did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servant of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when he spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. It's kind of where we're going. I'm going to walk through the story of Joseph this morning, but that is um, ultimately where we're going. Um, so we are in a series called Celebration, um, as you saw in the bumper. 
And in this series, it's been an incredible series. The first week of it, we got to celebrate baptism. And some people in this room um, got a public declaration to go from death to life in baptism. Um, and it was just this beautiful Sunday to celebrate them. Last week, we got to celebrate mothers. And Sean did an incredible job kind of holding up these, this, like, these two juxtaposed positions of how culture views women and mothers, and then how Jesus affirms them and encourages them and accepts them. It was an incredible Sunday to celebrate women and mothers. Um, and this Sunday, um, Sean asked me to talk about celebrating trials. And I know that's difficult, right? Like, that's a, that's a tough topic. And I, as I thought of it, I was like, man, that, that language might not, not hit very well. Um, and so I started to think um, that even there might be people in this room when I say celebrating trials, and you're like, no way. It was so hard for me to even get to church this morning, let alone celebrate the trial that I'm in. Um, and you might be saying, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. And that's true, I don't. But I pray if you hold on with me through this message and you hear the part of my story and then some biblical principles from, from Scripture, um, that this message today will be one of hope and grace for you for whatever trial that you're in. Um, so here's the, here's the deal. I don't love the idea of the language of celebrating trials, but at the same time, I think that we're called to live in the tension of that. In Paul, we, we, we hear that we're supposed to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And I think it's in the middle of that tension that we truly can celebrate trials. And as I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, I, like, I do like that language. I, I, I can get behind that if it fits in the tension of sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Because I, honestly, I think our culture is really bad at mourning. They're, we're really bad at lamenting. Um, but we're really good at celebrating birthdays, all this stuff. And, but we don't pause. And we can be bad at, at funerals and difficult conversations. So I think we, we are bad at mourning and lamenting. But I think we can, as believers, we can walk into this culture and live out a faith that is that surpasses all understanding, live out a faith that's rooted in something, to be able to say, God is good. Um, to be able to sing, He is a good, good Father. And I'll be honest, after and I went through a season where that song challenged us, I asked Sean to play that song this morning because it, I was just in tears over there listening to it because I, I know how difficult it can be to sing that song in certain seasons. Um, So yes, I think it's okay to wrestle with these questions of, God, where are you in this season? Why am I so lonely? Why do things feel so hard? God, you even listen to my prayers? If you watch the news, sometimes I think we ask, God, are you even involved in the world? And I, I'm not here to necessarily answer those questions for you this morning, but I hope I can encourage you with some biblical scriptures. Um, and so where we're going today, my three points this morning are pretty simple. You're never alone. God is good and God is sovereign. Those three points, I, I pray that you hear this morning. And you can hear it in my story and in the story of Joseph. Um, so a little bit of my story. 
I was raised in Atlanta, Georgia, a little southeast of Atlanta, Georgia, um, suburbs, to a great family. I have an older brother who's four years older than me. And somewhere in my adolescent mind, um, going to church, grew up at this church. My dad was involved in the church a lot. And somewhere I thought, like, okay, if we go to church, read our Bibles, teach Sunday school, whatever, blessings will come. Um, and that is somehow I got this theology, this idea um, that blessings came with obedience. And um, I had no theology, no reference of mind for this idea of suffering and trial. I lived a pretty comfortable life, if I'm really honest. Um, my brother's four years older than me. When he was a senior in high school, I was in eighth grade, and he was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember thinking, no way. There's no way that the God I serve, a good God, would allow this ha to happen to our family. There's just no way. Um, and I think, I, I remember thinking like, hold on, sorry. I remember thinking that there is no way that Jay is going to even be able to handle this, right? He's a senior in high school. Like, why would God do this to us? Um, and I remember being mad at God and angry and upset um, and, and being like, that idea, that diagnosis didn't fit into my theology. It didn't fit into my idea of God. And it was amazing to watch my brother, a senior in high school, walk through this trial, walk through this difficulty so steadfast, never complaining, never bitter, always just getting, getting it, honestly, getting this idea that the cancer was bigger than he was, it was bigger than his story, and I got to see that in a really beautiful and personal way with my brother. Does that mean it was easy? Absolutely not. Does that mean it was this morning? Well, I'll say this. Does that mean we wanted Jay or my family to high-five everyone and say that everything was okay? No, that's not what this is about. I'm not saying that we have to celebrate trials and put on a good face and come into church and be all happy. That's not at all what I'm saying this morning. But Jay was able to have this attitude, have this faith, have this focus and hope in Jesus that was so rooted in the gospel um, that it just that rippled um, to the people that were around him. And I remember watching him as he lost his hair and watching him come home from the hospital after a week of chemo and being so sick and not being able to finish his senior year going into school. He was able to walk um, at the end during graduation. And ultimately, my brother is doing awesome. He's healed, thank the Lord. Um, the Lord has healed his body of that cancer. Um, but it was, it was this where it started. I, don't, I didn't necessarily, as an eighth grader, understand this idea of suffering yet. It was just a glimpse and an example that I got to watch my brother live that out. Um, and I honestly think he was able to live that out because his deep understanding of the gospel and his deep understanding of that he was never alone, that God was good, and that he was ultimately sovereign over his life. So that's just a little piece of my story, uh, and then I'll tell a little bit more later. Um, but we're going to jump into Genesis 37, um, and we're going to talk about Joseph a little bit. And I'm going to pull out these three principles um, for you. 
So in 37.2, these are the generations of Joseph. Joseph was 17 years, 17 years old, was, was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zelpah, Zelha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when, when he told his brothers that who hated them even more, he said to them, Hear the dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding up sheaves in the field, and behold, my, she- my sheaf arose and stood aright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed to it, to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And told his brothers and said, Behold, I had a dream. Uh, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing to me. But when he told his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this saying in mind. So right here we jump off and... Uh, Joseph is the beloved son of many. He's, he gets, a, technicolor, he gets a, a colorful coat. If you've ever seen Joseph in Technicolor Dreamcoat, it's pretty good. But it's kind of this story, right? It's, it's this beloved um, son, and his brothers hated him. They were envious. They were jealous. Um, and so they create this plot to kill him. They, so he comes out to the, the pasture one day with them, and they're going to kill him, right? And I think it is uh, Reuben who suggests... Hey, let's just throw him in a pit. And Reuben had the idea of wanting to come back and rescue him. And then Judah comes up with the idea, let's, let's make some money off him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So they ultimately sell him to the Ishmaelites. And then, um, so they sell him to the Ishmaelites. They, they rip his coat off from him. They rip it. They dip it in blood. They present it to Jacob and said, Joseph's, Joseph's dead. Your favorite son is dead. Uh, he's been mauled by a bear or a lion or something. Uh, I don't know what they actually said, but something like that. Um, and so Joseph, or Jacob mourns for days and days. Ultimately, he mourns for years up until where we're going with the story. Um, but he's bought by, by Potiphar. So we're going to jump over to chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought to Egypt, and Potiphar, an, uh, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, has brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites, and had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph um, found favor in the sight uh, and attended him, and he made him overseer of all his house, putting him in charge of all that he had. So we see Joseph is in this foreign land. He's sold by his own family. He's banished from his family. He's bought by these Ishmaelites. He was thrown in a pit, and now he's bought by Potiphar, captain of the guard, down in Egypt, down in this this foreign land. 
And ultimately, we, we know a lot of, of this story. He's put over the house. Um, he's a, apparently a handsome man, so Potiphar's wife sees him as that and wants to set him up one day and wants to sleep with him. And so he runs, he flees. And Potiphar, Potiphar's wife acute, falsely accuses him and said, he tried to take me. Um, and so Pot, Potiphar is extremely angry and throws him into prison. Um, and we find that in 39:21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph, in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. I think we, my first point today, um, if you don't hear anything, hear that God is with you. I know that somebody in the room might be struggling with something, might be in the midst of a trial, might be in the midst of a, a tough situation, and know that the Lord is with you. We see that throughout this chapter in Joseph, that the Lord was with him. Again, he's in prison He's in a foreign land, yet the Lord was with him. You're never alone. God is always there. I think the story of Joseph shows the, the depth and true what loneliness can look like. Um, and maybe you're feeling that today. And a little side note plug. Um, I pray that you walk into to this church um, and you you feel welcome and you feel the ability to be vulnerable. You feel the ability to share your story. Um, we kind of have a saying here where this is not where we ultimately do life. Um, this is a place for hopefully encouragement, for uplifting. Um, but we talk about doing life in circles instead of in rows. Um, and that's what we're about. And we, we want you to have a place here where you're surrounded by community and you're surrounded by people who can challenge you, uplift you, celebrate in the highest highs and cry with you in your lowest lows. And I think as that being something we're about, that doesn't mean the purpose of community is to fix your loneliness or distract you from your trial at the time, but it's to be around a group of people that will ultimately point you back to the fact that you're never alone. Um, and community is gonna change. People are gonna come in and out of your lives and ultimately, can we rest in the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us? Um, so you're never alone. Um, this kind of goes into a part of my uh, second part of the story that I want to share with you this morning. I, fun fact, I went to school at North Greenville University, right down the road from here. Whoop, whoop, crusaders. Um, and... It was in that time that I was able to experience true community. I was ex able to meet a few people um, that I really got to do life with. They knew my sin. They knew my struggles. I knew theirs. We were able to pray together. And it was in that community that I met Afton, my wife. Um, and so we actually dated our senior year in high school, or <laughs> senior year in college. And we kind of had our ups and downs. And ultimately, all my friends around me within that community that we were real tight with, 
they started getting engaged and married, and I was like, uh, nope, terrified, scared. So I ran and traveled the world for two years. And so we broke up our senior year. I went, I went my own way. And ultimately, the Lord brought Afton and I back together in Colorado, of all places. She went there separately than I did. Um, and it was just this, it was a really cool story, which I, that's not the point of this. The, what the point of this is that we got married December 10th of 2017. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh man, I'm married. All will be well now. Um, that's a lie. Um, and so two months into marriage, which we actually got married in Greenville, South Carolina. And two months into marriage, we were back in Colorado and I was doing college ministry. And um, two months in, I lost my job. Um, and it's one of the harder, harder things that I have gone through um, and then to be married and now have to go through with that with someone else was so difficult. Um, we had such deep relationships that we had made in, in Colorado. We had an incredible community around us. Um, and in kind of one conversation, it felt like all of that just was gone. And I remember thinking, God, like, how are you involved in this? How are you orchestrating this? There's no way. Like, Ash and I were planning on being in Colorado for a long time. Um, how was I going to support my wife now? Um, two months into marriage, and I don't have any work. I don't have any pay. Um, Ultimately, um, I got a job at Home Depot, and um, I was familiar with construction, and so I got a part-time job at Home Depot and a part-time job uh, with a contractor, um, just running a tractor. Um, and so immediately had to go into this mode of, all right, I just have to provide. Um, and I really didn't get to process much of what had happened, and there was a ton of pain and tears and injustice um, that came out of that situation and I remember thinking, like, Lord, I, I don't know how you're good in this situation. So we ultimately, we stayed in Colorado a few months, and then we moved to Atlanta, um, and we moved into my parents' basement, which was a trial within itself. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, they were incredibly grateful, and it was a place for us to um, heal and figure out what the Lord had for us next. Um, but we started going to a church uh, in Atlanta just to find some rhythm in our lives. Again, we're seven months into marriage at this point, eight months into marriage, and we just haven't had any, any rhythms. So we started going to this church, and actually the, the, youth, um, the worship pastor of that church wrote Good, Good Father. And I remember sitting when he was singing it and being, and, and being challenged in that moment of, am I going to lean in and be able to sing this song or am I going to just kind of sit back and just, no way. And you might be in that place this morning. When that song was playing, you just can't sing those words because it's so hard. And I'm, I will tell you this morning, God's big enough to handle that. Like if that's where you are, that's okay. God's big enough to handle that. He's big enough to handle your questions, your doubts. Um, but then he, uh, Pat, the guy who wrote that song, also wrote a song called Into Faith. And in the verses of that song, it says, faith is not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard. 
And I remember just being rocked by those words. Um, and it's true. Our faith is, in, is, is, is so much deeper than the circumstances we're in. It's so much deeper than the trial that you're walking through right now. I was, I was in tears when Mikey was up here talking about the giving because I, I think it... I don't know how you went through what you went through and you're able to sing that song, right? Like losing your sister and you're able to sing that song. Um, but Mikey gets it, right? He gets it. His faith is in something so much bigger than, than the trials and the circumstances around us. So ultimately, second point, God is good and we can rest in that and we can sit in that. We're going to jump over to Genesis 40. Remember, he's in prison. And we're going to see the goodness of God through this story. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord and the king of Egypt. The Lord, the king of Egypt, sorry. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker were put into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them um, as they continued in custody for some time. So picking up this story, he's in prison. He's put over. I didn't know that was up there. That's great. Um, he, he was put over the prison because the Lord was with him. Um, and ultimately, Pharaoh has a bad day, and he gets mad at his cupbearer and his baker. And he's like, oh, y'all are going to be in prison for a little while. And he's walking by one morning, and the cupbearer and the baker, they have this kind of look on their face, like kind of bewildered look. And Joseph sees them and says, oh, like, why do you have this look on your face? Oh, we've, they've both had these dreams. And Joseph says, well, it's up to God to interpret these dreams. Tell me them. And he tells them the dream, and ultimately the cupbearer, the interpretation of that dream is that he'll be restored to the right hand of the Pharaoh, the baker will be killed, that, those, those um, interpretations come true, the cupbearer is restored to the right hand, and Joseph says, remember me when you're next to Pharaoh. Well, the cupbearer forgets, and then two years later, we, we uh, pick up in, where do we pick up? 41. After two years, Pharaoh, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the, uh, in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. Then the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Um, and so ultimately, Pharaoh has this dream. He calls to all the people, the, ma the magicians and everyone who can interpret this dream. He calls all of Egypt to come if you can interpret this dream. And he says to them, um, here's my dream. Interpret it. Ultimately, none of them get the dream right. In that moment, the cupbearer who's standing at the Pharaoh's right hand says, oh, when I was in prison, a guy named Joseph interpreted my dream. They call Joseph, they bathe him, they clean him up. He's presented in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells his dreams, and he interprets those dreams to be these seven cows are seven years of plenty, and these seven uh, skinny cows are these seven years of famine. And this is what you need to do. You need to, in these seven years, store up the grain 
for these seven years of famine that are coming. Um, and then we pick up in 37, 41, 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his, his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and over all the people and order uh, themselves as you command. On, only as regards the throne will I be greater to you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have sent you, uh, set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. So get this, right? Pit, slavery, prison. Now he's over all of Egypt. He's basically the prime minister over all of Egypt. Um, fast forward a little bit. I know this is a lot of text, um, but fast forward a little bit. The famine happens, right? Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Two years into that famine, Jacob, back in Cana, his father, says, hey, go, sit, go get grain. They have grain in Egypt. He sends his sons, Joseph's brothers, to buy this grain. Joseph recognizes his brothers, and kind of there's this back and forth a little bit, um, between them, they go back. He said, bring your youngest son to me. They kind of wait for two years because they were scared of what um, their father would say. And finally, they come back to him in Genesis 45, 4 and 5. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And, and now do not destroy. Uh, be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And we're going to jump right over to the verse we started with this morning. 50, 19. So let me pause real quick. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, ultimately says, go get your father, move all your things, all your possessions. I will take care of you in Egypt. Jacob dies, he blesses his sons, and then that's where we pick up. Um, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So in this story, we see Joseph have this deep, deep understanding that God is good, right? He's never alone, because God is always with him. And then he has this understanding that God is good, we don't see in Scripture that he's complaining in Potiphar's house. We don't see him bitter because of all this. But at the end, we see this attitude of what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I think that is such a beautiful picture that we can take hope in this morning. Last point, I can't talk about trials and I can't talk about suffering. I can't talk about tribulations and especially celebrating those things without talking about the sovereignty of God. It's so huge if we can understand and grasp and take in a little bit of the sovereignty of God, right? We look at Joseph's story. When he was 17 years old, he was sold to the Ishmaelites. He was bought by Potiphar. For 13 years, he was in prison. Um, 
before he became over all of Egypt, where he was about 30 years old. Nine years later, it wasn't until um, his brothers during the famine happened to, to show up to Egypt to get food. And then it probably was another two years when he was 41 that his brothers and Jacob came a second time to Egypt. And it is very difficult for me to believe that that's all happenstance. That one day, Pharaoh was in a bad mood and sends the cupbearer and the baker to prison. Like, it's hard for me to believe that it would just be all by luck that Joseph would end up in the prison that the cupbearer and baker would even go to, right? Like, this is a sovereign plan. This is a plan that, that God is, is just making happen um, at the end of the day. And I think a little bit about that uh, is in an afternoon story. Um, that ultimately, to be able to say, I'm, I'm going to engage in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing, yes, God, you are a good, good father. That we are never alone. That we're able to walk through a trial and a situation and be rooted in the fact that our hope is in the gospel, not our circumstances. And so ultimately, we're in Atlanta. Um, a couple uh, opportunities have had kind of like come and pass. Um, and it just wasn't, nothing was quite the right fit. Um, until a couple months ago, Sean texted Acton um, about like a restaurant. So they used to work together at First Pres in the student ministry. And Sean texted Acton randomly about like a restaurant that they used to go to. And we found out that Sean was a part of this church plant, didn't know much about it. And we kind of joked with him of like, hey, you looking for a college pastor? And um, he was like, well. And then these, this, like, these conversations started to happen. And ultimately, it was almost a year to the day of me being let go from this ministry, scared to go back into ministry, scared to risk again that... I got a call from Sean and they said that him and the elders wanted to bring me on as the, the college and career guy here. And I remember just being floored that yes, God is good. We might not see it in the moment. Yes, God was with us throughout that whole experience. And I can be on this side of that trial and say like, I'm standing here today because of the things that God put into line, the people that he put into our lives in the past, all of it had a purpose. Um, now that's not to say the point of celebrating in the midst of a trial is not to get out of it. No, the hope to get out of that trial. Um, the purpose of the trial is that what is our attitude? How is our heart going to be postured in that moment to create perseverance, to create character, to create hope? Um, and frankly, throughout scripture, we see that like we're actually promised suffering and trial and tribulation. What are we going to do with that suffering, trial, and tribulation? Um, so ultimately, all of this, you're never alone. God is good, and he's sovereign. I hope those three biblical principles were something that you needed to hear this morning. Um, but I, I'm going to shift it in closing that this story is not ultimately about Joseph, but it's a parallel, it's a foreshadowing. This story is about Jesus, and it's about the gospel. And that Joseph was able to say in this moment to his brothers who, meant, who hated him, who meant evil against him, 
He's able to say in that moment, after years and years of being imprisoned, being falsely accused, being in a pit, being over Egypt, he's able to say in that moment, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And is that not our story of the gospel this morning? What we meant, what, the, what men and women who slandered Jesus, who falsely accused him, who lied about him, ultimately hanging him on a cross for him to die for our sins, that he would bring salvation for many. And that is what happened in Joseph's story, right? Like he says, God sent me before you so that I could save lives. When this famine struck, that I would be here to save lives, that I'd be here to interpret this dream, to know what to do in the, in the years of plenty. And that's the gospel this morning, that God has sent Jesus before us to die on a cross, raised from the dead, to bring salvation for many. This is what it means for God to turn evil into good. There is a hope that surpasses any circumstances that we could go through. This morning, if you're a believer, I pray that you take on, you grab one of those truths, even if it's just one, and you root it deep within you. Um, If you're not a believer today, know that if you're going through a trial, if you just got out of a trial, I dare to say you're going to go into another trial I don't know anything in this world that would produce any kind of hope in those moments except for Jesus, except for his good news of the gospel. So shifting it a little bit, it's through Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit that we are truly never alone. You can invite the Holy Spirit into your heart this morning or maybe you're you're already there and you just need to know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, that you're never alone. It's through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins that he shows us that he's ultimately good. It is the most loving thing he could have possibly done. Leave his heavenly throne, creator of the universe, to die on the cross for us. He is good. And in God's sovereignty is where we can find rest. I know people who... are riddled with anxiety and, they sh- and that is one of their trials and that is one of the things that they, they suffer with. And I pray this morning if that's you or maybe you're going through something and you're anxious about your job, your marriage, whatever it may be, uh, your relationship, that you can rest in the fact that God is sovereign um, and that he is the one who's orchestrating many things, many facets that we will never know this side of heaven, right? Like we'll never know all the things that he is orchestrating. David Platt um, had, a, had a quote, and I don't think I wrote it down, but um, so I'm going to summarize it. But it's this idea of if we sometimes, have you ever thought when we ask God, what are you doing in our lives? The answer is what he's doing in someone else's life. And I remember like that just like striking me and being like, even when I think of the story with my brother Jay, like he was able to understand that because he knew that what God was doing in his life was actually for the doctors and nurses and other families on that same floor who they were struggling with their children going through cancer. 
So it has this ripple effect um, if we understand and if we're able to walk through trials with this posture of celebrating, this posture of in the tension between sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So I end with a few scriptures this morning. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Romans 5.3 And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been a called, who have been called according to his purpose. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to speak your word, um, speak your truths. Lord, I pray for anyone who is in this room right now, who's going through a trial, who's struggling, who's in the midst of hardship, I pray that they can latch on to one of these truths that your gospel shows us. That we are never alone. That you are with us. Lord, can we latch on to the idea that you are a good, good father. That it is well with our soul. That whatever you give, you can take away. And may we rest in the fact that you are a sovereign God a God who cares so much about us that you are orchestrating every instant and moment of our life. And it's this beautiful mystery that we, we sit in that man is still responsible for their decisions, yet you are somehow orchestrating. And we're just going to trust you with that mystery today. Lord, thank you for the cross uh, and what you've done for us. We love you because you first loved us. Do your same pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.